some under the chairs for you to use. We are in Romans 4. We still have nine chapters to go after tonight, so I believe that's right. Um, maybe miss... No, we have way more than that, sorry. Yeah, there's 16 chapters. Why did I think... I was thinking 13 for some reason. I don't know where that came from in my head. I've read this book enough. You know, you would think I would... All right. Romans 4. Romans 4. Last week we went through all of Romans 3 in kind of a quick way. What I want you to know about this as we're, as we're going through these chapters, I'm not getting into every detail of these verses. If I was, we would be here for a very long time. Um, and so what we're doing is kind of giving you an overview. What I'm trying to do is give you a big picture of what Romans is doing, what Paul is arguing for in the book of Romans. And, um, and so, yeah, there, were may, there may be some verses where I don't touch on something that's said. I would encourage you to go look that up. If you have questions about something, seek that out. Um, all right? But uh, we're just kind of going through it at a quicker pace, overview, big picture type deal. Last week we talked about there, the fact that no one is righteous. The Jews had questions um, about where... Um, what what the what was cool about being a Jew basically like wh- why are we Jews like what's better about that okay what what's the problem they're be trying to find Romans okay if you have a problem there's like an index in the beginning of the Bible that tells you like the page number so all right um. So in Romans 3, Paul's arguing, okay, it, was a, it is a good thing to be a Jew. Like, you don't have to throw away your heritage and think, well, there was nothing good about this. No, the Jews got the word from God. The Messiah came through the Jewish people. So there were big perks and great things about being a Jewish person. But what Paul did argue is that your righteousness doesn't come because you're a Jew. You don't get some special relationship with God because you're of the nation of Israel. You get that through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Okay? And so here in Romans 4, he's going to kind of reiterate that and talk about why um, it doesn't it doesn't matter that you're a Jew, but why it's a good thing that God has provided this gift in Christ. So the, the title of tonight's lesson is The Greatest Gift That No One Wants. The Greatest Gift That No One Wants. So first of all, let's read Romans 4, and then we will jump into this passage. Paul begins, What shall we say... Or what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather? Remember, they've been asking questions, right, about what the purpose was for being a Jew. So now he begins this question specifically about Abraham. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from the works. David says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but it was before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so the righteousness would be counted to them as well, to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where, is no, where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom we be he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why this faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Okay, so Paul makes these lengthy, very um, heady and intellectual arguments about faith and what it means, what this circumcision means, what was the point of Abraham, why was he circumcised, if God counted him righteous before he was circumcised, and all these things. And so Paul's going to unpack this one at a time. And so what we're going to break it into is three different sections. What is this gift? Who gets the gift? And how does one get this gift? Okay, so what is the gift? Who gets it? And how? Do they get it? Makes it a little more simple. Alright, and we're going to continue to work through here, beginning in verse 1. So what shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Now, everybody in this room has heard the name Abraham. Right? Everybody kind of heard the name Abraham in association with Scripture and the Bible. Okay? Alright, hands down. Abraham was a man who lived in an idol-worshipping family in the Old Testament, if you don't know who he is, in Genesis, okay? Um, God went to him and he called him out of his hometown. His dad actually was an idol maker. He carved idols for people and he was just not good people, 
right? Like, they weren't worshipping the real God. They were worshipping all these little statues and things like that. So there was nothing cool about Abraham. Nothing that God was like, oh man, Abraham loves me and he worships me. I'm going to call him out. I'm going to make him a great nation. No, what God does instead is he goes to Abraham, who doesn't even know God, who doesn't even worship God, and he says, Abraham... Um, because God probably sounds like that. I don't know. Um, but he says, Abraham, I want you to come out and leave all of your family, everything that you know, everything that you've been raised to do, I want you to come out, and I'm going to show you a land that I will give you. And I'm going to make of you great nations. Okay? So if God came to Davin and was like, Bro, and Davin's never even like worshipped God, thought about God, read the Bible, like nothing. He's like, hey, I want you to leave your nice house, all your horses, your family, and I'm going to take you to this land that you don't even know about, you never even heard of, you know, like somewhere in the desert, and, and I'm going to take you there, and I'm going to provide for you, and guess what? I'm going to give you like kids, countless as the stars or the sand on the seashore. Are you going to be like a little... Wait, what did you say your name was again? Uh, right, right. Yeah, that's a problem too. I don't like you either. So, um, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, so, like, this guy gets a call from a God he's never worshipped, never talked to, never heard of, and he says, I'm calling you away from everything you know, everything that's comfortable about your life, and I'm going to take you and I'm going to show you a land, and I'm going to make your descendants like the shore or the the shore of the sea, and like the stars of the sky. There are going to be too many to number. And make na great nations out of you. Now something to understand about this culture is children are a good thing. In America, we have this idea that children like mess up life, right? Like I can't pursue my hopes and my dreams because my children hold me back. And, and now we don't have kids who are like in our 30s because they, everybody wants to have a career and that's like the ultimate pursuit. But in this time, this was not the ultimate pursuit, right? The ultimate goal and the ultimate aim was to have a family. That was considered a blessing and good. So when women couldn't have children, it was sad. It was hard to deal with, right? Because they considered that the greatest joy. So when God calls Abraham and says, I'm going to make your children as many as the sand of the sea and as the stars of the sky, Abraham is like, yeah, alright? So he's going to leave his hometown. He's going to leave everything he knows. And he's going to follow a God who's he, whom he's never worshipped. Alright? So this is kind of a background of who Abraham is. And from Abraham comes a great nation. Anybody know what the name of that nation was? Israel. Alright. So the name of the nation is Israel. That God is going to bring from Abraham. And he promises him this. And so now, Paul, we are post-Christ coming and dying and being raised and ascending back into heaven. This is after all of this has happened. And now Paul is arguing that Israel, you thought you had the way to God in the Mosaic law. You thought that by keeping the Mosaic law that they had been given later after Abraham... And that was what got you close to God. That's what made you acceptable before God. And what Paul is now saying is, yeah, it wasn't the law. It was never the law. That didn't make you acceptable to God. It is Jesus, and it always has been 
Jesus and faith in God. And now he's making that argument based on what he did with Abraham. Alright? What he did with Abraham. So what shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what Paul does throughout Romans is he uses circumcision. This is kind of what the Jews use as a means of determining whether you were in or out. Okay? They were commanded by the Mosaic law that every boy on the eighth day after his birth should be circumcised and that made him a part of the community of Israel. It was just like us getting citizenship in the United States, right? We're a part when we get citizenship. For many, most of us, we were born here, right? And that gave us automatic citizenship in this country. For others, they come in from somewhere else and they have to go through a process, right? Thankfully, they don't have to be circumcised to become a citizen of America. But that was the requirement for Israel. But it's much greater weight than being a citizen of America because Israel was God's chosen people. He called Abraham out and said, I'm going to make of you a great nation, right? I will be your God and you will be my people, so this had great weight. You wanted to be in the club where Israel was concerned. They had God on their side. And the small little nation God used to show his glory throughout the world. And so Paul keeps giving this circumcision, uncircumcision. Basically he's saying people who are in Israel, people who are not of Israel. Okay? So here he goes with Abraham. So what was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? So why was he circumcised? Paul says, well, if Abraham was justified by his works, if he was justified by his circumcision and following the law, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, Paul's making the case very early on that Abraham's circumcision had nothing to do with his relationship with God. It didn't make him more acceptable to God. What made him acceptable to God was the righteousness that he had based on his faith in God. Okay, so this is the very first point that Paul is making. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God, it was counted to him righteousness. Verse 4, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul goes to an argument, what is the gift? Is it payment or is it truly a gift? Is it payment or is it a gift? In other words, Jewish people... Or today, Christian people, are you working to get payment or are you trusting in God to receive a gift? The Jews seem to be offended here that their work hasn't paid off. Really is what gets, when you get down to the heart of it, that's what offends these Jewish people. They're like, wait a second, we have worked, we have scoured over the law, we have tried our best to keep the law, we've all been circumcised, we've done, we've done everything the Mosaic Law, we've tried to do everything the Mosaic Law has told us to do, and you're telling us that none of that matters? That all that matters was having faith in God. And Paul says that's exactly what I'm saying. Paul explains to them that the gift they're being offered is much better than payment for their labor. So imagine I ask Noah to come to my um, house and I ask him to mow my lawn. And I say, Noah, I will pay you $100 if you mow this lawn. 
That's pretty good money for, for a lawn mowing job, right? So Noah's going to go home tonight and like oil up his mower and get it all ready. Um, so I say, Noah, I'll pay you $100 to mow my lawn. Now as Noah begins to mow, I'm watching him from in the house. And I notice that he's just doing a terrible job according to my standards. Right? And my standards are really high. I want him to go in a certain pattern, and I want to be able to see nice straight lines in my yard. I'm just real picky, right? I want it to be perfect. But Noah's doing a terrible job. So I walk outside. I go out while he's in the middle of the job, and I tell him, you know what, Noah? I want you to stop. You're just not doing a great job. I'm going to mow it myself. And you're going to sit here and watch me. And I'm going to give you $1,000 to sit here and watch me mow my yard. What? All you have to do is confess that I'm much better at mowing yards than you are. Ooh, you're way better. Okay. Among everyone, you have to proclaim that Jared is a much better lawnmower than I am. But you get a thousand dollars to do nothing but watch me and then proclaim that I'm better. All right. So, would Noah be offended by that? Offended that he's not a good lawnmower, that I've told him he's pretty bad? He's probably going to be offended by that. Absolutely. Like he's wasted his time. But what's better? A hundred dollars for working hard out in the Texas heat mowing a yard, or a thousand dollars to sit and watch me work. So the second one is much better than the first. And that is what Paul is arguing to the Jews. He says, You can work really hard and get nothing, essentially, or you can trust in God and you can place your faith in Him and let Him do it all and receive a much, much, much greater reward. It becomes a much easier choice when we put it that way. God has done infinitely more than this for us. He's given us infinitely more than a thousand dollars. He's done infinitely more than mow a yard. He has given his life. He has taken our death in our place. And then he has given us Christ's life and Christ's righteousness. Something that we could never work enough to earn. Paul is telling the Jews they can lay down and stop working and boast in what Christ did and they can receive the righteousness of God. That's it. He says, put down all of your labor, all of the tools that you are working with and trying to make yourself acceptable to God. And he says, just trust that Christ has done it all. And confess that he is good and boast in him. And then you will receive the righteousness of God. It's the difference between getting payment and a gift. And the righteousness of Christ is much better than what you are due because of your works. 
Rather than get what was due to them, Paul tells the Jews that they get the righteousness of Christ. According to Romans 3.23, what was their due? What was their payment for what they had done? Death, right? Romans 3.23, the wages of sin, the payment for your sin is death. And even on a good day, your best works, Isaiah tells us, are like filthy rags before a holy God. Your best works on your best day, the day that, think of the day that you most obeyed your parents, you had a best attitude that you can remember ever having, you obeyed your teachers, you're making good grades, you were acing it, man. Like that day was a good day. And God says that your righteousness on your very best day is like a dirty tampon. That's exactly what that scripture means. Your righteousness is like filthy rags. On your very best day, all of your works are like a filthy tampon to a holy God. If that doesn't make you want to kind of throw up, that's what it's supposed to do. That's how God wants you to see your works and your righteousness. It should be appalling to us when we try to work to get something from a holy God. We, we can't do anything that would please him of our own. But he did it all for us when he sent Christ to die in our place, to live a perfect life. And now, rather than our filthy righteousness that we get from our own works, we get the righteousness of Christ, which actually gets us in good standing with God, which actually is praiseworthy from God, which God looks upon not with disgust, but with approval and love. You're being offered the righteousness of God. That's what Paul's telling these Jews. Would you rather pay for something and work for something that you'll never get, you'll never own, you'll never accomplish? Or would you rather trust in God and Jesus Christ and what He's done and receive righteousness with one simple act of faith? He compares and contrasts these two things. And then he says that David speaks of this blessing. What he's saying again, like he did in chapter 3. He's saying this is not something new. This is not something new. You Israelites, you should have known this. You should have understood this from the Old Testament and from the scriptures that you have been given. For David wrote, verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Paul's saying, you've had this scripture. You should have understood that it's God who forgives and it's God who doesn't count your sin against you. Working and trying to achieve perfection would never work. So who gets it? We know what it is. We know that it's a gift. It's not payment for our work, but it's a gift. And now we have to talk about who gets it. Verse 9. 
Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? In other words, Paul knows the next question the Israelites are going to ask. Okay, Paul, we get it. We get that this is by faith and not by works. That's how we get this thing. So, who gets it? Are you saying it's open to everybody? Because if it's not by works of the law, it seems to be that you're saying it's not by circumcision. So does that mean the uncircumcised people can get this? Are they going to get in on this? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. In other words, Paul is saying, Jewish people, Israelites, you agree with me that Abraham received righteousness by faith. It was written in the Old Testament scriptures. This is what we've always understood. Abraham got righteousness by faith. Okay, so first he's going to make that clear. We all agree on that. Verse 10. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? So now Paul is trying to get them to think about it. He says, okay, we can all agree. Abraham received righteousness by faith. Now was it by faith before he was circumcised? Or after he was circumcised? It was before he was circumcised. Abraham was called out of a country that worshipped a bunch of little G-gods, right? And so, Abraham wasn't circumcised at that point when God called him out. But Abraham believed God. It was counted in righteousness. It was not after, but it was before, Paul says, he was circumcised. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So in other words, the circumcision isn't what got him righteousness. It was a seal and a sign of the fact that he already had been made righteous. So Paul's saying, see you Israelites and you Jewish people, you've flipped it around and you've misunderstood it. All of this time, you've been thinking the circumcision comes and then you're somehow made righteous by it. No, you're made righteous and then the circumcision came as a sign of righteousness. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. Remember God's promise to Abraham. I will make you a father of many nations. How would he be a father of many nations? If everybody to be a part of the nation of Israel had to be circumcised. That, that's one nation, right? If he's going to be the father of many nations, he has to be the father to those who are not circumcised as well. So those who by faith trust in Jesus Christ can also call Abraham father. To make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Paul is making a case right here in Romans chapter 4 that the gospel has been true since the beginning of time. Since Genesis 3 when God said, a seed will come from the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. There will be one who will crush the head of the serpent. And that was the first picture of the gospel. Someone is coming. And he will do away with sin. And Paul's saying, Israel, why, why were you looking for righteousness in the law? Did you think you were going to find it there? It's been written. Abraham was counted righteous by faith, not by circumcision. The sign of circumcision came long after Abraham had been made righteous by faith. 
Paul said it's always been like that. So go with me here if you've been raised in church and you're always like, how does this law thing work in with grace? Was it like people were saved by the law in the Old Testament and now they're saved by Jesus in the New Testament? No, that is what Paul is making the case against. Paul is making the case that righteousness and salvation have always come by faith in God since before the law was ever given. So you're going to ask the same question that I asked and the same question that these Jews asked. Then what was the purpose of the law? Right? If salvation has always been by faith, then why did God give this law and tell them they had to keep it? What was the purpose? Same question these Jews ask. What is the purpose of circumcision? Like, why do we have to be circumcised? Look in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. In other words, he's saying this beautiful promise that Abraham was given by God that his descendants would cover the earth and that he would be the father of many nations. This promise came through Abraham's faith, not because he was circumcised, not because he was a good Jew and kept the law. Verse 14, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, the promise is void, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is transgression. So man, this law thing is kind of even sounding bad now. It says because the law is here, it brings God's wrath on us. Because the law has come, it shows us our sin. Verse 16, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Paul's saying, all the law did is show you your sin. All the law did is brought the wrath of God because it showed you what a wicked and evil people you really are and you can't even follow simple rules. Right? And Paul says, law is bad. Is it bad? No, the law, the law is not bad. It shows us that we are bad. And Paul says, that's why this message of faith is so great. Because you're counted righteous, not by your ability to keep the law, but by faith in Christ. Because if it was counted on your ability to keep the law, you would never achieve righteousness. It rests on grace. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham. So he's saying not only to the nation of Israel who is adhered to the law, but also to those who have the same faith as Abraham. So what Paul is saying is, Israelites, Jewish people, listen to me. This is for the world. This gospel that I'm preaching, the gospel that's been preached since Genesis chapter 3, this gospel is for everyone. It's not just for you. It's for those who have the same faith as Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Paul is quoting the Old Testament there. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. There is a lot packed into that verse. God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. We have hope and we have faith in this God. Verse 18. And hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. 
He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. In other words, Paul is going through talking about Abraham's faith and how great it was. Abraham was 100 years old when God said, I'm going to make your descendants like the shore of the sea and like the stars of the sky. How many people you know at 100 years old, ready to have kids? Right? So like, Abraham, in spite of the fact that he's a hundred years old and the fact that his wife has never been able to bear children, he believes God. He puts faith in God. Even though it seems like all of the natural things around him are saying this is never going to happen. He believes God. And so Paul is setting Abraham up as the example of great faith. Verse 20. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham's faith wasn't based on what he thought was plausible. Or what he could see as plausible or naturally happening. Abraham's faith was based on his belief that God could do what God had promised. And that God would do what he has, had promised. So who gets it? Everybody. Everybody who believes in Christ by faith. The circumcised and the uncircumcised. Abraham was circumcised so the nation could come from him that God had promised would come from him. The Messiah would be born through that nation. Ultimately, that's why the Mosaic Law was given. It was to set aside a nation of people from whom the Messiah could come. As I've studied more and more about the law and the purpose of the Mosaic Law, the thing that seems to make the most sense through the timeline of Scripture and how this big story of redemption comes together, the Mosaic Law was nothing more than a means to keep the nation of Israel separate from the rest of the world at the time so that a Messiah could come. It was pr to protect this nation so that Jesus could be born through them. So how do we get it? Verse 22. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness because he believed God. Verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. In other words, Paul is saying in Genesis, when we read the account of Abraham's faith and it says it was counted to him righteousness, he believed God and it was counted to him righteousness, it wasn't written for just the sake of Abraham. It was written for our sake also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In other words, Abraham says the same righteousness that was counted to Abraham because of his faith in God will be counted to us as well when we put our faith in God for what he has done in Christ Jesus. By the same faith that Abraham had, you too will be counted righteous before a holy God believing in Christ who died for our sins and was raised for our justification. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the greatest gift that no one wants. God, everybody wants to work for their salvation. We are offended by the notion that you wouldn't accept what we have to offer. People in a society 
where we are told we must pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get everything done ourselves and we are fully sufficient to provide for our needs, we are offended when you tell us that we can do nothing to earn our salvation, but that we have to put our trust and our faith in you alone. And I pray that would not be true of the group here tonight. I pray as they've heard the gospel that you have done it all. All the work that was needed to accomplish our righteousness has been done for us by Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. God, I pray that we would not refuse this beautiful gift only to work for something that we can never gain. Help us to trust you. Help us to love you. God, if there are some here tonight who just don't understand, don't don't understand this beautiful gift of salvation that's been provided in Christ, I pray that you would begin to draw them to yourself, that they would see what a beautiful thing it is to be able to rest in the promise of God that you have provided everything for us. And all we have to do is have the same faith that Abraham had. Believe that you will do what you have said you will do. We thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.